I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Shark. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo. Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 30th. 1987, we are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in beautiful downtown Los Angeles, honoring the best films of 1986 at the 59th Annual Academy Awards. We got Chevy Chase, Paul Hogan, and Goldie Hawn co-hosting the ceremony tonight, and it is time for the big award of the evening. The envelope, please. And the winner is Platoon. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, Please, the podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order, and we are your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. So we got some interesting hosts this year for the Oscars. I just love that they have Paul Hogan coming out to do hosting duties, just because he's nominated for Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) I think that's so funny. Yeah, they, um, apparently they wanted to kind of try and you know get more people to watch the oscars apparently the ratings had been kind of down and they were like okay we're gonna have uh, a hip ceremony with these awesome popular people and it's uh we're gonna keep speeches under a minute that was a big thing oh and we're gonna keep the show uh three hours or under it was three hours and 25 minutes Oh, um, wow. Well, there you have it. So all the same problems so, that they still are trying to <laughs> fix today. <laughs> yes, there are. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's the same story always and forever with the um, with the always. Oscars. Uh, now that we're really in the thick of things, you know, always, you know, people thinking the ceremony's too long. It's not and funny. And then they cut it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then people are upset and. You, know. you can't make everyone happy, right? That's what we've learned. So we do have some firsts for this ceremony, though. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that we have a deaf performer, uh, performer winning an Oscar. Uh, Marley yes, Matlin wins leading actress for Children of a Lesser God, and she was also the youngest at 21 years old. Um, yeah. Pretty impressive, pretty impressive. Um, I love this movie. I think she's fabulous in it, and it's pretty crazy to also think that it was her film debut, too. I think that's just extraordinary. I think she's brilliant. It really, it really truly is. She's, she's, she is remarkable in the film, and she is a remarkable um, actress, advocate, um, activist, uh, all of the above. And, might I say, she hit, she is uh, one of my favorite parts of one of my favorite TV shows, which I will take any opportunity to mention, The West Wing. <laughs> Wait, what's that show? I don't know. I don't know that one. Never heard of The West Wing? It's, it's a small... Um, <laughs> Little indie. Well, uh, the father of the star of the Best Picture winner is in yes, that show. Yes, that's so true. That is so true. Yes, indeed. Um, but we'll get there. We will get we'll there. Get, we'll get to Vietnam we'll get soon. Uh, is is <laughs> Vietnam... You know, I, I mean, I know that people going through that period of history felt like it would never end. And right now I feel like the Vietnam movies are never going to end. Yes. <sighs> Agreed. Um, what else do you we'll have about there. this ceremony? Anything else that you have? 
Um, you know, uh, nothing too significant other than, you know, them trying to keep it snappy running run snappily pick up the pace you know yeah um bernadette peters sings a medley of oh, the pretty. oscar nominated songs in order pretty. to keep things shorter by not i like that idea actually yeah. i like that idea stephen spielberg gets the thalberg award which is really interesting because he was passed over for a nomination last year <laughs> right and this year they, I, I don't know, are they, is this a makeup situation? Kind of feels that way. It, it also seems really early for Spielberg to already get the Thalberg Award, right? I know. You know. I mean, he's only been really making movies at this point in time for a little over 15 years, you know? That doesn't seem like... He was 40 when he got yeah, it. Yeah, you know? I think it's a little, it does seem a little um, coincidental that it happens the, the year after getting snubbed for the movie that probably should have won Best Picture. Yes. So I do think there's some politics involved there. This is also um, Betty Davis's last appearance on the Oscar ceremony. She presents Best Actor... Mm. Um, and, uh, there's a, there's a bit of confusion. I don't know if she's confused or there was just some miscommunication, but she ends up trying to read the nominees names, but she's doing it after the clips and they like cut her mic, um, when she's doing that. But then Paul Newman, who wins, is not present at the ceremony and, um, Robert Wise, president of the Academy at the time, uh, accepts for him, and then Betty stops him and is like... And Mr. Wise is the winner of two Oscars himself. The Sound of Music! West Side Story! Yes! Now, Now you get on. That's right. Thank you, my dear. That's right. She does the whole thing, and and then Robert Wise accepts the Oscar, which this is Paul Newman winning his first Oscar um, after getting an honorary award the year before, which also happened to Henry Fonda. Paul Newman is a little bit younger than Henry Fonda was, um, but uh, he ends up getting the Oscar for playing a character that he had previously been nominated for decades earlier in the early 60s the hustler and they made a sequel with tom cruise and him called the color of money he wins best actor and he becomes one half of the first husband wife team to win best actor and actress oscars bingo um for that stayed married I should right. say. Right. There we go. Yes. Okay, let's take things yeah. over to some snubs. Are there any movies, performances that you think should have snuck into any of these categories? You know, I don't know if I have a snub this year. Um, I, I don't think there's anything that I'm, I feel particularly, particularly strongly about that isn't already represented. So, okay. um... You know, uh, yeah, I don't... I that don't makes sense. So. I only have a I, few, actually, and one of mine okay. isn't really a snub. It's, it's more of like a preference thing for me. Uh, that's okay. the supporting actor, Dennis Hopper. I love that he's nominated here. 
for yeah. something. I just think it should be for Blue Velvet. I prefer that movie mm. over Hoosiers. I think he's, uh, I don't know, I guess more memorable, and I think it's a it's a more lively performance. I love, he's so evil in Blue Velvet. I think it's great. So I would have liked to have seen him represented there. Uh, best picture, I would have loved to have seen aliens creep into this race. Get away from her, you bitch! I think Aliens is one of the greatest movie sequels of all time. Um, and then also in supporting actor, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but this movie is fucking great. The movie is called Legend, and it has the greatest Tim Curry performance probably of all time. He plays wow. the Lord of Darkness in this movie, essentially the devil. Mother Knight. Fold your dark arms about me. Protect me in your black embrace. And he's trying to have eternal nighttime forever, and then Tom Cruise is trying to stop him with like a sword and shield. It's like a very crazy fantasy action adventure 80s movie. It's so good, and Tim Curry is so good in it. It's um I I watch a lot of these like um top ten videos on YouTube like Watch Mojo, and he was love listed love those two he was listed as like uh it was like their top ten list of best performances in bad movies and he was their number one and I was like that is so accurate because Legend I well I think it's a great movie but a lot of people don't think it's a great movie but I think it's great but he is the best part about it and he is the reason to watch it and it would have been. So cool to see him get an, a nomination. Because Legend did creep into the race in makeup and maybe something else too, but makeup for sure. And the makeup work and the set design in Legend is fantastic. Um, yeah, but come on. Let's give Tim Curry an Oscar nomination. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I would I would love for him to to have one. I'm you're not gonna I mean, I love Tim Curry and everything. We I mean I we so talked fabulous. about him. We talked about how much I thought I, I thought he should have had a nomination for, for Clue. So <laughs> yes, yeah, I could see that too. I could see that too. Are there any movies that you want to spotlight this um, week? I mean, this is an interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, I I'm actually pretty familiar with these best picture nominees this year, which the '80s is not my period, so that's uh, that's unusual. But what I would love, I would love to mention first of all, it's kind of hard to discuss this. You can play a clip from it but the musical score from the movie the mission Mm. is one of the most beautiful pieces of music I know that I've mentioned scores a couple of weeks in a row now. I do like a good movie score. Yeah. But um, the one in the mission is very often cited as one of the great uh, musical scores of all time. Um, it's by, I'm going to mess this name up. I can't wait. And Aninia, Aninia, <laughs> it. I'm also wearing a B- Invisalign aligners right now, so it's like double. <laughs> I can't pronounce things. Um, Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone. Mor- Morricone. Yes. Um, it was ranked number one 
in the Australia Broadcasting Corporation's classic 100 music in the movies. Oh, um, okay. She the movie stars Robert De Niro, uh, Jeremy Irons. It's a really, really great little movie if you have not had an opportunity to see it, but you'll just love the music. And that's that's that. Um, love that, love that. Yes. Um, I also would like to mention the dual supporting performances uh, that won with Diane Wiest and Michael Caine in Hannah and Her Sisters. Now, we have spoken several times about the problematic history of writer, director, <laughs> and supporting actor in this film, um, my uh, Woody Allen. Yes. With that said, uh, he is very much a supporting part of this film. He is not the lead. Um, the leads are most definitely Mia Farrow, uh, Barbara Hershey, and um, Diane Wiest. Um, but uh, the the movie um, is just basically this extended family. It takes place over a couple of years. Um, and the li- the ways in which their lives intertwine and there's um, affairs within the family. Um, I-, I think that it, along with The Purple Rose of Cairo, are my favorite Woody Allen films. Mm-hmm. And I-, I particularly like this one because um, it is such an ensemble piece and the cast of it is so good. And it's, um, I do think the standouts are Michael Caine and Diane Wiest. I think those are fair um, people to recognize in this case. But I will also say that this movie is has a really fun uh, Carrie Fisher performance. Um, especially if you only know her from Star Wars and <laughs> being a caustic. Right. Um talk show guest later in life (laughs) this is uh this is a great performance from her and it also has a later performance from mia farrow's mother uh maureen o'sullivan best known for playing jane in the old tarzan movies um and max von sydow is in it um it's just a really great cast and problematic though he is i think that this is one of the better michael kane movies of uh, not michael kane uh <laughs> it is a great Woody michael kane movie yeah michael kane uh is pretty infamous for not really turning down movies right ever uh michael kane was not president at the academy awards ceremony to accept his oscar and he was not present because he was on location filming Jaws the Revenge, which is oh boy. one of the very few <laughs> movies on Rotten Tomatoes that has a 0% fresh rating. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, that's came, about as high as it should be. Yeah, it came out the following year. Um, and, you know, Michael Caine is known for not really turning parts down he's in some incredible movies but he's also in some clunkers which he's the first to admit yeah um you know because he just doesn't like turning down work and he likes to uh, work yeah 
it's a, such a dichotomy that he couldn't accept his Oscar because he was making one of the worst movies of all time. God, I love that. That's pretty good. Yes. <laughs> um, and and that the what's the fact that we used to tell on tour about that about how um oh right well they had to dye the water on the lot extra blue to match the water in the Caribbean and every mm-hmm. time Michael Caine fell off the boat into the water he came out with blue hair so they would have yeah. to start the take all over again. So if he had shown up at the ceremony, he might have also had blue hair. There's very really possible. No, it's very. There's possible. really no. Um, <laughs> there's really no telling how that one would have turned out. But yeah. Michael Caine, he's he is a a wonderful actor. I'm so happy that he got um, he, that he has an Oscar, and um, he is very very good in um, Hannah and Her Sisters. Diane Weist is also one of the great treasures of American cinema. And even if they got their Oscars for Woody Allen films, I'm very happy that they have them. Yes, so, their work is still quite good, yes. Just very, very exceptional. Um, yeah, and other than that, this is not a highlight. I just want to mention that one of my favorite directors uh, had their film debut um, this year. Oh. Um, it's not a movie that I think should be Oscar-nominated. It's super fun. But... Um, it is uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, um, okay. starring Whoopi Goldberg, directed by Penny Marshall. Oh, there we go. Oh, that's so fun. Cool. And I <laughs> will be talking about her in Snubs in a couple of years. Beautiful. Well, okay. a few years. A few years. There's a big movie she makes that is fantastic that was snubbed in most categories and should not have been. I think you know well, what movie I'm talking about. If you yes, don't. we shall get to that. <laughs> we shall. I we see shall. you, 1992, three, <laughs> one of the two. I forget which year it is. 1992. Two sounds right. Two feels okay. right. Yeah, it feels right. Yeah. Okay, there's a movie that I want to talk about. That I want to spotlight this week, and I think you're going to be on board with me. The movie's called Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh, yeah, the performance yeah. is Kathleen I Tyler. thought you were going to talk about this, so I didn't. So. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay, so if you haven't seen Peggy Sue Got Married, it is about a woman named Peggy Sue. And this is Kathleen Turner. She's attending her 25th high school reunion when suddenly she's transported back to her senior year in high school. And now she has to face all the problems from her past that have never really gone away. So first of all, I just want to say this is my mom's favorite movie of all time. And uh, second of all, this is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and I think that that is just the strangest thing. Like, here we have the man who crafted the Godfather series, Apocalypse Now, and he's he's doing here what, what you know, could have been on paper just a by-the-numbers romantic comedy, right, with a cute little ending. But in, like, Coppola's hands, we get a really deeply felt character study and with some of the smartest humor too this movie is very funny but it's very clever with the trick and i think the glue that really makes this all work is kathleen turner right just pull off a lot here in the movie very underrated underrated yeah she's really like doing a magic trick here it's like a, a balancing act the audience really has to buy that she is 18 years old again we have to believe this right or without that the whole gimmick of the movie just fails Um, and I think she's successful very successful and I think where it really comes through the most is in the more sentimental moments of the movie like for example when she's back in time and she gets a phone call and it's her grandmother 
but her grandma has been dead in the present for many years. So just hearing her grandma's voice again catches her so off guard that she's speechless and she doesn't know what to do. That's such a great moment in the movie. Um, or, of course, at the very end of the film when her and her longtime lover, Charlie, who is played by Nicolas Cage, and he's really, really good in this, too. He's, like, just the right amount of, like, kind of, uh, I don't know, schmarmy. It's one of his first. I don't know if one it's One of his first, first yes. Yeah. Um, but they're Nicolas having, like, Cage a... is a Coppola, in case people don't know. Yes, yeah, so now he we see, we see where he got his start, don't we? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yes, but they're finally having their fight at the, toward the end of the movie, right before she goes back to the present. And it's interesting because he's having a fight with her as them as 18-year-olds, but she's bringing in these things that, have ha- that haven't happened in his mind yet, but they've happened for her because she's, you know, living in both, you know, times of life. So there's a lot going on in this movie. There's many levels, um, and it's kind of a trip to watch, but it's really, really fun, and I think you all would all enjoy it. One of my favorite scenes, too, is where she's... Um, sneaking into her father's office to take sips of alcohol, and she is sneaking this, and after the fourth or fifth trip, she's now, like, really, really drunk. She's quite intoxicated, and her parents finally find out, and she just kind of gives up at this point. It's so funny. Um, Little moments like that that I just think are really, really fun bits that play out really, really well. So, yeah, I love this movie, and I love her nomination. I think it's fabulous. Slight slight correction. He... um... His first role was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, that makes a small role that makes sense. in that in that movie. Yep, but he sure did. Um, this is only a, a, a four years late. So he'd been in movies for a little while. This is really not a debut at all. I just I. But don't this is know a big break for him, though. This is a pretty big break for him. Yeah, and he is the the largest male performance in this movie. So yes, very um, true. It also has. Um, uh, it also has in the cast um, an actress named Catherine Hicks, who I am a huge fan of because she was the mom on Seventh Heaven, <laughs> oh, which I watched. Wonderful! I up. love that. I love that. And I met her <laughs> once, and she was really sweet. Um, uh, also, Joan Allen is in it, and yes, Jim Carrey. Yes, yes we do have and a young Jim Carrey. And also, uh, Helen Hunt is in Helen it. Helen Hunt, it's right. She's the daughter. Oh my God! Yeah, there are a lot of fun like, young Coppola. cameos in this. And once again, an older Maureen O'Sullivan is mm-hmm. in it. So yeah, we it's get a great movie, great cast. It's a great it's a really cast. Good one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would have been very happy with putting it in some other categories, personally. Sure. I don't know if you... I think Screenplay should have been an easy one for it to get nominated in, but I don't see it listed, and I think that's kind of crazy. I, have... I like that... I feel like this is probably closer to the type of movie Coppola once wanted to do. Because Coppola, yeah. you know, he didn't want to do Godfather Part Two. Right. He was convinced to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of him, but I don't think he... I don't think... I, I bet you if you know him as a person, he's not nearly as dark... Definitely, yes. no, definitely. I'm sure this movie was enjoyable for him to make. You know, he also <laughs> made that. Um, he made that musical that that bombed so badly. Yes, yes, the, yes, yes, yes. And the can't stop the music. I think is the name of it. <laughs> um, uh, in the '80s. So I mean, like he uh, he, he was he I was branching out. He 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 really did want to branch out. You know, but he also made the Outsiders and Rumblefish and and right. you know. He did. He did a lot of. Uh, he he's known 
for the run he had in the 70s, but he did have an interesting career after that, as or has had, Very I should say. Very true, and I mean, he did give us one of the greatest Vietnam War movies of all time that did not win Best Picture, but we do have one today that we're going to talk about. So oh, let's get to our Best Picture winning film. Did you like that? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Let's go. All right, let's talk about Platoon. This movie chronicles the experiences of one army platoon during the Vietnam War, where there are two sergeants who are pitted against each other. There's one who carries out his duties respectfully and by the rule, and the other one who will use whatever means necessary. So this was your first time watching Platoon, yes? Yes. Yes, okay, this is like maybe my, I think it's like my third time watching it. Um, Hmm. That's not going to happen for me. Oof, yeah, I know. To be honest with you, too, like, this was definitely the most brutal time watching it, too. There, I don't know why there were things that happened that I was like, wait, I don't remember that happening. For some reason, maybe I've watched a censored version of it in the past. I don't know. Um, it, but yeah, I, it's a brutal... I, I looked yeah. away a few times. Yeah, there were things that I, I don't I, remember happening in the last few times I watched, but I was like, okay, wow. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, what was your? what are your thoughts coming away from the film? What, are you, what did you think? Um, I... Okay, there's. I'm of two minds. I have to first of all admit that this is an exceptionally well-made um, movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I I have I recognize that on on our, on an artistic technical level. Yeah. I also just do not enjoy Vietnam movies in any way. They're not. They're not fun to watch. They're not. There's nothing. There's never anything remotely life affirming or uplifting about them. It's just the darkest depths of humanity on display, mm. and we, we, I, same kind of thing happened with the deer hunter talking about that movie and those characters. Um, this one is not. This one is different than the deer hunter, um, in that it is. Uh, uh, you know, it's not Russian roulette. It's it's a little bit more, I think, um, normal film theatrics, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes, no, I get exactly what you're saying. Totally get what you're saying. They are different movies, right? Because I think for The Deer Hunter, you do have a very specific, like, moment in their experience in Vietnam, you know? And then mm-hmm. in platoon here we have a whole ensemble of people that you kind of breeze in and out of their lives getting to know little bits of him here little bits of him there um which i think it's just a more realistic portrayal of what it felt like to be on the ground in vietnam as an infantryman it feels to me less like violence for the sake of violence does that make sense yeah I mean, it's like, because um, the deer hunter to to me feels more gratuitous, you yes. know? Sure. And this movie feels more like the violence is organic within the story. Yes. And that doesn't make it, I mean, like, it's unpleasant to watch regardless. Um, but um, 
I don't know. I was more we. I at least appreciated having a, a character in Charlie Sheen's character that I could at, at least emotionally identify with. Right, know? as that the new member of the platoon coming in, fresh eyes and having you know, a, a moral, naive. a moral yes. center in a situation where it, it feels almost impossible to have morals. So let's go um, off of that, then. I'm curious to ask you, what do you think of the journey of Charlie Sheen's character in this movie, where he does start off seemingly with morals, but by the end of the film, he comes becomes another killer? You know, not even just of the Vietnamese people, he kills his own. Yeah, you know, but I mean... What do you he, think of he, that journey? He kills a bad guy, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but don't you think ultimately, like, that's what war is, right? We're killing the bad guy, so it's fine. But as you yes. see, it kind of still leaves you... It is the point. It is the point that ultimately war just makes monsters of people, and yes. um, and it's it's such an uncomfortable thing to look at. It's so interesting to to watch this movie this week too. Um, you know, uh, mm. in real life, we're we're going through the withdrawal from a very long war um, that has had many unintended consequences um in a situation that seems impossible and dealing um with a uh quote-unquote enemy who um fights in a way that is different than we understand yeah um you know the parallels between vietnam and Afghanistan or also Iraq uh, going back farther to Korea um, these wars that America has gotten into over the years you know um, it, it's really I, I think that the message of platoon is important because it's very clear that you know and I'm, I'm saying this as a person who is in general very much of a anti-war almost a pacifist i would say mm-hmm. um i think the message is important that you know war makes monsters of people and war yeah. is just this senseless pointless killing so much of the time and um i i i appreciate as unpleasant as it is to watch, I appreciate that ultimately the message of this movie is what I believe to be a very strong anti-war statement, perhaps stronger than we have seen in any war film we have watched up to this point, or at least perhaps the strongest since way back at the beginning with All Quiet on the Western Front. So... This is very much in that vein, the, you know, um, what is the point of this? What are we doing? These people are all monsters. Exactly. And those who are not become. Become, yeah. And that's what he says, too, in the beginning, right? He was like, I just wanted to sign up. I wanted to do something good. I wanted to help. And then he very quickly realized, oh, I'm just another number. Like, I'm just another person to throw out there. You know, I'm not special. Life doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah you know, they they really wrestle with that. Yeah, it's it's um, man, I this subject is just I I'm just glad we don't have to revisit this for a while because I um, yeah. 
this is a huge downer. It's uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is a downer. Yeah, no, it's very it, very sad, and, and it, I think it is so effective because you really feel like you're a part of their platoon by the end. You know, by experiencing mm-hmm. all these things that they're going through, and with the yeah. way it's shot too. This is very. I think I feel right like in this the weeds. Is, yeah. yeah, exactly. This is shot very close and similar to how Spielberg films Saving Private Ryan almost mm-hmm. a decade later. He puts you front and center in there, too, so you feel like you are as much a part of the war as those actors are. You Isn't know, so when a bomb goes though, off, you really feel like it was it went off next to you. You know, you live it with them. Isn't it interesting, though, you know, the way comparing and contrasting World War Two movies with Vietnam movies because mm-hmm. we've now seen a helping of both, um, and you know the World War Two movies because <laughs> we were fighting such a um, because we were fighting uh, nations that have similar power structures and um, religious backgrounds and. Um, Mm-hmm. governmental systems to we do, that we do yep. so you're not you might they might speak a different language but ultimately you're you're fighting people that um you know are are are, are playing on this uh, it's like the same recognizable yeah yeah um yeah recognizable within our systems you know what i'm saying um and uh and so when we were fighting germany and japan it was it was uh an enemy that we that we we knew how they were going to fight they knew how we were going to fight and we were also at the time fighting the nazis which was a very clear enemy yes. that was uh committing you know the most um atrocious act that maybe has happened in the history of mankind mm-hmm. um with the Vietnam War, the reasoning for us getting involved mm-hmm. is much more cloudy, and the style of warfare is more of a, a you know, a jungle, um, this this environment that we don't understand, these uh, societal structures and cultures that we do not understand, and... Um, and the reasoning for why we why we are even there is something that nobody really understands either. Yep. And it's just interesting to see that confusion put onto the screen. Um because it's so it contrasts so much with the way that a World War II movie is uh presented where no matter what in a World War II movie you know, we know we were on the right side, so yes, it's all hope exactly. in the end, and we did the right thing. In Vietnam, we why were we there? Why why did we put people? Why did we kill all of our soldiers? Yeah, did we and do any good? Like, did we was do any, there any good at all? Good in the outcome of it. Very true. There's and such the, a tonal difference in World War II films and in Vietnam War movies, which is exactly what led Oliver Stone to really create this project is he wanted to give a version of Vietnam that was different from like a John Wayne version which is very patriotic you know even though it's Vietnam and not World War II he wanted to actually show you know this is what it was like because he was there he was drawing on experiences his own experiences and others that he had chatted with who served in Vietnam and he concocted this sort of 
this movie to kind of really show an accurate representation of soldiers' stories and what happened to them. And you know what I appreciate about this movie versus The Deer Hunter is that The Deer Hunter, you know, one of the issues we discussed with that movie is how it kind of portrayed it, it, it almost it's hard to, to know whether or not that movie was anti or pro and what exactly it was saying because it very much depicted the Vietnamese people as savages yeah and that is not what happens in platoon in fact there is a scene the I maybe the most horrific moment for me mm-hmm. in the movie where these innocent villagers are just, you know, annihilated. Yeah, annihilated for no reason. by for no reason by the American soldiers. You know, um, which is the first, I think, real indication of what the monstrous uh, character that the war machine can create, and um, and that to me is the is maybe up to this point in American cinema the strongest anti-war. Oh yes, and you and had. you see it on their faces too, and I think Oliver Stone knew that, which is why he has so many reaction shots from the the fellow actors in that scene of all just being dumbstruck at what he just does when he shoots the the wife of the leader of this village, I guess. Um, when he shoots her it's, and she just falls to the ground, and you see even even the awful. other soldiers who we've seen up until now also be assholes and probably massage and rapists as we see in the future too Mm -hmm. they're also equally like in shock that oh Mm -hmm. he really shot her you know and you're absolutely correct that moment is such a turning point in this film and i think for people's minds about vietnam and what they thought about it and what we were doing there and what what we were what we were being told was going on there and what was actually going on there and that moment really signifies that, you know. Yeah, it's and this is um, and also like uh, it, just, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how like so many of these people, these boys, these are children, you know, that they're be, be, that are soldiers who were giving guns to and bombs and stuff. That's why you see so many things going wrong so too. Like when when they order the airstrike and it attacks at the wrong time and it ends up killing so many of their own people. Like there are so many mishaps that went on. In, v- in the uh, Vietnam War, just because people didn't know what they were doing, you know. Do, would you have? Would you have nominated Charlie Sheen? I don't know if I would have. I don't know if I would have either. And I think it's we're not. He's good. No, no, he's but, fine. But he is. He's supposed to be everyone. He is the audience looking in. You know what I mean? And we yeah. are seeing what it takes for a young naive soldier to be turned into a monster by the war I, machine. I do like the nominations for Tom Berenger and, and Willem Dafoe. Yeah, let's get into that. Which one do you prefer? Do you Which one would you have voted for if it was just between Berenger and Well, Dafoe? I'm still voting for Michael Caine. But right, right, right. I, but if it, if it was just these two, which one would you give it to out of these two? Uh, Tom Berenger. That's what I think, too. I would, too. Yeah. Even though Willem Dafoe, I think, has the most iconic moment in this movie oh, when he gets shot. shot down. Yeah. It is, it's in cinema, it is, you know, one of the You've great... Oh, yeah. It's one of the great shots so... of all time. It's heartbreaking. And the two characters, their characters very much intersect. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Tom Berenger, um, might I also say, there were points in the movie where I, I knew that I was supposed to be hating his guts, but he was just so hot 
that I had problems doing so. But then he would do something <laughs> sure. awful, and I would, I, you know, like, spoiler, shooting. Then he would open his mouth. And then I was like, oh, and Then right. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't think he's hot. There's no, a lot of good-looking men. At even that movie. giant scar on his face, that scar is gnarly. I know. You know, even when Willem Dafoe had his, sh- his shirt off in a few moments, I oh, was yes. like, you know... Willem Dafoe could get it in 1986. Willem Dafoe is really great in this movie. I And this is an early Willem Dafoe movie, too. This is definitely yeah. shows a lot of promise of things to come. Um, but no, I agree. I think Tom Berenger, the journey we go on with him, because we see the aftermath of, oh my god, what he does. I mean, he does some of the worst things ever and mm-hmm. tries to like validate them as to no this was the right choice you know oh my god he's just lying to himself it's really hard hard to take in so you're right i think in the end but that is that is the ultimate thing like we've seen this horrible person right um uh sergeant barnes that's tom berenger we've seen Barnes barnes be the worst kind of person and like even in war like yes he's fighting for the quote unquote good side but he's evil you know so having charlie sheen's character kill him in the end it's such a oh it's just it just says everything about war like we we even kill our own you know we it doesn't matter there's no stopping it it's all madness it's all crazy you know i um yeah i uh man i i have like i'm never i'm just gonna be honest here i probably will never watch this again just because it it's so oh yeah the um, one that got it for me was when he was picking up the the crate inside the bunker and it was actually a booby trapped bomb and it explodes no. and he loses his no. arms and he like walks out. I don't remember no. seeing that before. No. That Hated really it. stuck with me and I was like, I <laughs> was horrified. I, like, uh, I don't want to see that so ever horrific. again. Hated um, that. Um yeah. Okay, wow. okay, here's a question for you though. So why do you think the Academy chose to give this movie best picture even though we've mm-hmm. honored Vietnam War movies, quite a few of them, in the past. You know, we're a bit more removed from the Vietnam War now. We've had lots of movies about them discuss, you know, of all ranges and sizes and stuff, you know. So what do you think it was about this movie that struck a chord again with the Academy where they were like, yes, let's give it to another Vietnam movie instead of one of the other nominated films? Well, I feel like... Um... You know, they probably, like, like looking at these nominees, they probably thought that Hannah and her sisters and Children of a Lesser God were too, you know, lightweight. Right. You know. Performance movies. they aren't, because they're not epics. They're not, you know, they're smaller films. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I think I prefer both of them to Platoon on a personal level. <laughs> I don't know I mean, how yeah. I could judge them. As far as rewatchability, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a Room with a View is kind of the first of... I mean, it's the first Merchant Ivory movie to um, make a wave in the Academy, correct? Um, isn't it the first one? Uh, was there one in the 70s? I think I think you're um, right. I'm just trying to think of another Maggie Smith movie. Uh, um, well, you might be right. Well, it's it's definitely the first one to get like eight nominations. Yes, you know? um, and uh, and so maybe maybe they thought it was a little too soon. Sure, you know, and also it's it's also kind of 
Um, it's interesting. That movie, I feel like, is a crystallization of something that was really forming in the 80s, and that is the textbook of what an Oscar movie is. Yes. You know? Well, it's also it another that... British movie, and we've given so many British films the top award in the 80s already, so maybe they were like, nah, let's let's chill for a minute with the, the British movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, anyway, it's... Um, it's also great. I mean, like it's 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 a it, it's it's also like the cast is incredible in it, and you know because it has Helena Bottom Carter. It's her big break. Yep. Um, you know Maggie Smith and and Daniel Day Lewis and Judy Dench. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, I, I I it it doesn't feel like a winner. It feels like a nominee. I don't know. Yeah. And, um, and the mission, I feel like the mission is kind of probably, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it also doesn't feel like a winner. It feels more like a nominee. Platoon is the only one of these to me that actually feels like a winner. And I don't know how, how to properly explain that. Mm-hmm. Does yeah, that I make guess, sense? I guess there's like a, yeah, there's really... What I think it does so well is that it strips back what you think a Vietnam War movie, or even a war movie in general, is or was. And we make it about the soldiers now again, right? Whereas in, let's say, another Vietnam movie like Coming Home, where we make it about the soldiers returning from home, you know, to give you that impact of anti-war, that message, you know, this one actually puts you in it to show you why these soldiers are so traumatized now, you know? And I think... That this might have just been something a different angle on the war that gave people even more insight to what these soldiers went through, and mm-hmm. I think that struck a nerve, you, you know, know also, with the academy. Also, um, so the other movies grossed uh, Mission grossed eleven point one million, Room for Revo- with a View grossed eleven point five. Children of a Lesser God, gross 22.1, Hannah and Her Sisters, 35.4. Platoon, mm-hmm. meanwhile, yeah. grossed 138.5 million. It and was that a matters. huge box office hit. And, I mean, obviously, that that's probably, that's like triple what the other ones were getting combined. You know, that does make a difference i think that does make a difference you're absolutely right it was it was impossible to ignore this movie and everyone had probably seen it which is why it ultimately got more votes i think you're right is it your favorite of the year would you looking at these nominees now these five is this a movie you would give best picture to i would probably give it to the unnominated peggy sue got married (laughs) (laughs) i love that answer that's a good answer okay i love that go off oh my god oh my god what there was something that i should have spotlighted that i didn't what was it um but i have to mention this because this is very important and this should be what you lead out on okay um what you use as a clip to lead out on if you are ready um one of my favorite songs of all time was nominated for best original song and it criminally lost it to take my breath away from top gun which i mean uh-huh. okay great it's an iconic song but there is nothing in my opinion that matches what won the grammy award for song of the year 
somewhere out there from an American yes. tale. <laughs> that is a great song. Which um, was by James Ingram and one of the most iconic singers of all time. If you don't know her, watch the documentary Linda Ronstadt. That. Yes. HBO was, Max. Yeah. Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice. Just um, giving that a shout out. And it... Uh, it's an iconic song. If you haven't heard it, we will you you play a clip of it and make everybody realize it's beautiful. I will. It is stunning. It's gorgeous. So on that topic, what are we getting into next week? 1987, we're going to talk about The Last Emperor, another movie that sweeps the Oscars. I think this one wins, what, nine for nine, I think. It goes nine for nine. Have you seen The Last Emperor? What? It's 163 minutes long. Yes, it is. The 80s is obsessed with these movies that are so long. The epics. <laughs> the epics. Gandhi was super long. You know, Out of Africa was super long. Amadeus mm-hmm. was really long. This movie is going to be super long. I... um. Lord, give me strength. That's. I mean, like, I'm sure. I'm sure it's great. I um, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to finally seeing it. I know it. It's an iconic movie, and I have seen that shot of the young emperor running up to the window so many times. But I have not actually seen the film. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Yes, I have. And I'll hold off on my thoughts. I'll hold off. We'll we'll chat about it. Yeah, we're supposed to. We aren't supposed to say that. We aren't supposed to say our thoughts until the episode. Correct. Where we say our thoughts. Yes. We'll talk about that next week, everyone, 1987. And now we're going to have Fievel play us off. (laughs) 